0: This episode of the SaaS Revolution Show is sponsored by Crankwill. Uh, when you finally get that hard-to-reach prospect on the phone, don't waste the opportunity by booking a follow-up web conference. Instead, try Crankwill, a screen-sharing platform made for telesales. It lets you easily add a sales presentation or live demo to any phone call, keeping the conversation going. As winners of the SaaS startup pitch competition, Crankwill knows the importance of helping our community. That's why they're offering you the chance to sign up for free for two months, unlimited trial of all professional features. Just visit crankwheel.com forward slash sasdoc and go for the close on that first call. And don't forget, if you want to become an empowered SaaS leader, then sasdoc remote has your back. Uh, Our global virtual conference is back from the 23rd of February to help you, the SaaS founders and execs get traction, grow and scale your SaaS how we'll be having deep dive workshops with uh, industry experts such as Jaco van der Koy. We'll have one day of case study content around big problems founders have solved. Founders such as Tope Abitona, CEO of Calendly, recently raised huge round, uh, Joel Gascoigne, CEO of Buffer, uh, Edith Harbo, uh, CEO of launch uh, amongst others. Uh, we'll have one four hour session the following day of tactical talks to help your SaaS company win in 2021. If that's not all, SAS. Remote will open up again on the 3rd and 4th of March, for two four-hour days of networking. Pre-book meetings with attendees using the networking tool. Meet SaaS founders, meet with VCs, find your next customers, raise that next round. Just connect with SaaS entrepreneurs and execs from across the globe. Get your ticket at sas.com forward remote. Use code SASREVOLUTION20 for a 20% discount. Now on with the show.
1: the vast, vast majority of the cost of the company is people. How could you spend hours worrying about what CRM you're going to use when that might cost you £10,000 a year versus £100,000 a year for a couple of hires? I mean, it's just the, the cost of people is just the biggest cost to any company. If you're not prepared to spend a lot of time thinking and worrying about it, then you're going to be wasting a lot of money on the wrong, the wrong hires by definition.
0: Welcome to... This week's members uh, event, Uh, we've got a great guest uh, uh, for you today and somebody that has spoken at quite a few in-person conferences. And I think uh, like virtual as well last year, uh, uh, Bridget will uh, let me know. And uh, we've got a topic, uh, as you can see up at the top, uh, on how to hire uh, without hurting. Um, Our uh, guest uh, is a bootstrapper, uh, unless she's raised raised money recently uh, without letting me know. Um, uh, runs, uh, you know, a, a great uh, uh, company and a and a, a great tool uh, which helps you uh, schedule meetings. Uh, you've probably heard of it. Hopefully, um, it's called You Can Book Me. Um, and um, yeah, I'd love to to welcome Bridget to uh, the stage for uh, this conversation. Uh, welcome, Bridget.
1: Hi, Alex. Hi, everybody. Good, uh, good to have you here. Whereabouts are you? We're in Bedford, north of uh, north of London, in the UK.
0: Okay, very good. And how how I know we was we were speaking a little bit offline just around being in lockdown. We've a bit of Groundhog Day. How uh, how has COVID, uh, you know, perhaps like, you know, impacted sort of you uh, and perhaps uh, you know uh, the business? Before we get into the uh, the topic um, uh, that we're, we're discussing today
1: uh well the first the uh first impact on ours of course last was last year um when we had a sort of a dual track of uh people coming to the tool who were looking to use as you said it's a productivity tool scheduling tool people who need to use uh something like that to organize remote um, appointments, so we had a whole flood of people coming in to use our tool. But also, um, uh, uh, we had a we could see at first hand the impact on a lot of businesses who were um, using appointment scheduling to to organise on premise on site services, um, and they all they all essentially saw overnight a huge drop in business. So the first thing that we um, that we had to to do really was get to work to support them, you know, find out what they needed in terms of uh, pausing their subscriptions with us. And we also introduced some plans to subsidize the tool for free for schools who needed us. And uh, we gave some of the key integrations that um, people need for scheduling like Zoom. We gave that away for free for the whole of last year. So we did a lot that it was was a quite good focus for us. It was almost like quite a good sort of, a distraction almost that we we had to get to work and focus on the on on the people that uh were being affected the most by it so we've had a you know we've had a really we've had a really busy busy time um and that's on top of uh, as you said we're a bootstrap company we're also remote we were always remote so we have teams in spain and in the us and scattered around uh the uk and a couple of others in in, in europe and so our remote team kind of we didn't miss a beat in that sense, but it was it it has it's had a personal impact on all of us. Everybody's families and uh, home life has been disrupted one way or another. Awesome. Well,
0: I appreciate you taking out you, you, um, well taking some time to, to come and speak with us and uh, our, our members that are here live, uh, but also you know for the uh, for the SaaS Revolution podcast uh, audience. And um, uh, as I said, this, this is a session where you're going to be speaking a bit um, about the topic: how to hire without hurting. Um, uh, once you, you, you've you know, covered that topic, uh, I'm going to come in, uh, sort of answer uh, or ask a few questions, uh, and then we'll take a few questions from the the members that are live here uh, uh, today um, uh, as well. So does that sound good? I'll, yeah, absolutely. Yep, I'll leave you to sure. it, and then I'll, I will rejoin um, in around uh, sort of ten minutes or so when uh, when when you're up.
1: Sure. Okay, of course. And, you know, I want to emphasize for everybody who's on the call right now, I don't mind being interrupted or this, Anna's put in questions, you know, are welcome in the chat as well. You know, this is a big topic. And uh, in, in some ways, Alex, that's the first thing to say about hiring is that it really has to fit what you're trying to achieve. It's going to be different for everybody. So there's no, there's no right or wrong. You know, I'm not saying that there's a particular kind of person you need to hire. That is not the I don't believe that there's a sort of a criteria of a rock star developer or a champion, you know, uh, person. It's in fact, there's that is in some ways where you can go wrong with hiring is that you think that there's a one size fits all um, superstar candidate uh, and then you find that they're completely wrong for your company. So. Um, yeah, and no, I talk about it a lot. As you said, I've, I've spoken quite a bit at SAS stock, but I, I talk about it a lot because I think, in some ways, it's a, its a sort of a—you a, know—it's the unglamorous side of what we're all doing, which is building companies, building SaaS tools. Uh, tools. There's a lot of uh, glamour in in you know the great uh, world of technology and software and growth and companies, and uh, but at the end of the day, it comes down to people. And and who 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 what you're getting your people to do, and we kind of cloak that in terms like culture. So everybody loves talking about culture, uh, but culture doesn't culture doesn't come for free. It doesn't come. You know, it isn't that. I think one of the first lessons that I learned, building up, you can book me, and we've been going since about two thousand and ten, has been that it doesn't happen. Um, organically and naturally in fact if that's what you think is going to happen you'll end up with probably quite a lot of cultural practices and and uh uh, routines and habits in your company that you weren't even aware of that have start to form the culture of your company even you know even if you are Uh, Even if you believe that your company should be about something entirely different, because what happens is traditions and familiarity and and, uh, 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 accepted practices. So unless you at the very beginning make it very clear what your expectations are, very quickly the culture in your company is going to go in a different direction. And and you know not at a small size sub fifty people but once you get past fifty people, uh, it's very hard to turn to turn a ship around in terms of culture. So as Alex said, that this topic is something that is you know matter of I think the most important uh, focus for for any founder. And I wanted to I wanted to bring us back to uh, uh, a talk that I did quite a few years ago actually. Um, at a conference where i talked about i was i was laying out all sorts of things to do with hiring to do with our culture document and our recruitment system and our ats that we used our appointment uh, applicant tracking system and you know quite bureaucratic quite a lot of processes quite a lot of steps and i got a question from the audience who said look we're only five people why does this matter to us you know why, why is it important surely this is incredibly uh top heavy for what you are trying to achieve if you, you know and there's, there's everything you can say that backs that up the uh, that the assumption people talk about scrappy and problem solving and, you know, move fast, break things, this whole kind of it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Text kind of uh, if Adam and Joe reference there if you get that. And I answered at the time that really, if you don't, if you don't think about this at an early stage, it quickly gets out of control and then you wish you'd gone back and done something differently. So the hiring that we do now in, this, in, in our company are based on practices that we introduced six, seven years ago when we were a third of the size. And the benefits that you get as a result uh, start to compound. So it's like having a compound foundational uh, growth power, sort of superpower in your company if you hire uh, with the right, with the right pr- overarching principles, um, and I got so kind of interested in it that after that uh, conference talk that I did, um, I wrote it down. I have a journal, a You Can Book Me journal, like a blog piece on our website called "How to Hurt, How to Hire Without Hurting," because I felt so frustrated uh, that candidates who were applying for jobs to work at You Can Book Me sort of didn't seem to have the first clue of what an employer should be looking for in terms of filtering for the right candidate. So I wrote it because I thought, well, if you're going to apply for a job to work at You Can Book Me, here is, you know, there's not a secret about it. It's not like a trick question. This is, this is, this is, what we're, this is how we do it. So if you understand that, then you'll be one of the successful candidates. And so for example, one of the criteria that we have in You Can Book Me is we look for people who are prepared, who are thorough, who read everything, who do exactly what you ask them to do. And so, for example, when I put a advert out on, we work remotely or support driven or, you know, whatever the, the jobs boards are that we're using. And we say, please include the answer to these questions in your cover letter. Um, we read every single cover letter. It's really important to us. Um, we're a small team. We don't have a hiring manager. Um, and we really need to know what you think about these topics, please answer them. And then we get a cover letter from somebody that just says, dear hiring manager, I submit my resume for your review. I have all of the skills and specifications that you're looking for. Yours sincerely, I look forward to to hearing from you. Then I know instantly that person hasn't read my job advert, instantly. And so what I am trying to do with my hiring process is optimize the time I'm spending to narrow in on the probably only three or four candidates who who get through what's actually quite a wide and um, ruthless process of elimination. And so I wrote that You Can Book Me journal piece to try to help those three candidates who I really want to talk to, pick their way through what we are going to do, which is essentially put barriers between us and candidates who we don't think are going to be suitable. And we've, we have, we put that process in, in place about six, seven years ago. And um, the, we, it's kind of, it hasn't, it's never let us down in the sense that whenever we have ended up with a candidate who we've hired, who, who hasn't been successful in the company, we can actually uh, take it back to some of those processes and realise that we kind of didn't follow our own model. So Anna's asking in the chat, what type of questions do we ask in the cover letter? What we're looking for is often people are write cover letters because they think that you want them to talk about themselves in the cover letter. And to an extent that's true, because you can ask them, you know, what, what's your experience for this role? What's your uh, qualifications? And so on. But actually, the more important thing that I look for in a cover letter is how much research have they done about the company and the job I'm advertising. So, and people have gone to some really impressive lengths. I'm not saying that this would be the winner for every job uh, that you can get. People have done this and they haven't been successful, but some of the people who work for us now have gone as far as doing a version of you can book me, you know, with our own front end design to, uh, uh, with a sort of tug and cheek, you can hire me kind of, uh, uh, design. Uh, but also people have um, they've said, I mean, even as simple as dear Bridget or dear Anna or you know whoever is, is is the lead hiring person, they have shown um they have shown that they um have purposefully picked out our company, our job advert, and they want to work for us. And it is a matter it's it's not just simple flattery. It shows research, time, effort, concentration, attention to detail all the things that you're looking for in a, in a, in a potential candidate. So for me, the cover letter is, is the, 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 the kind of the beginning and the end of how much effort a candidate is willing to put into my attention. So if they've got less than a minute's worth of their attention in the cover letter, then I have even less time in terms of dispatching their, their application. So, uh, no, Alex is saying no cover letter, no interview. I mean, we don't. We no cover letter, no consideration at all. But also from the cover letter, um, we will filter pretty much ninety-eight percent of candidates away from the, the the shortlisting process because their cover letter is poor. So for us, the cover letter is everything. And as I said, it's not a trick question. We tell candidates this. We say to them, we, you know, we want your CV. We are looking for these core things, but we need you to tell tell us about it in the cover letter. Uh, we take it very seriously. We read every single one. And and that will disqualify 98 percent of candidates because they just don't do what you've asked them to do. So it's absolutely amazing what you can um, what you can exclude. And that's really my main kind of learning point which i actually got from Joel Spolsky he's got a great and it's again it's linked into my into my blog piece Joel Spolsky has a theory which is essentially hire no hire when you're hiring you're doing a process of elimination what you're doing is you're trying to get to know because his argument is that the cost to a company of hiring the wrong person is so much greater it's an it's, a, it's an order worse than the cost of missing out on a great candidate and that's what happens often is that you look at five candidates and you five cvs and five cover letters and you pour over them and you start to think oh but they could be really good or but they look they've had that experience and you start worrying what happens if the fear of missing out essentially starts to overcome you but instead what you you know what what you're missing is that disqualification is much easier and you don't do it all in one what you what i what i tend to do and you know if we have if we've advertised widely we might get sometimes we've got you know close to a thousand applications for 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 certain positions um so you have to be ruthless there's no way you're going to hire a thousand people well, unless you're obviously some huge mega unicorn so you know for us we're only ever usually hiring in batches of two or three or at maximum so as a result what we what we want to look for is how quickly can i get it down to si- if it's you know a, a ratio of maybe two or three candidates per Open position, and there's lots of other things that we do to help us get to the right candidate. But it's always based on um, a process of elimination. Now, this is when you're in a in a uh, uh, a process which is openly um, opening up your role to as many candidates as possible. But it's an entirely different kind of process if you're headhunting or you are hiring somebody on the recommendation and as, as we've got older as we've got more experienced I can see there's other perfectly legitimate routes into your organization to hire people but again process of, of elimination I would say there are flags to that process there are risks and you need to know what those risks are so the risks are bias it's an obvious one so in a open application process we can take pretty good steps to protect ourselves from unconscious bias. So we can anonymize CVs, we can anonymize shortlisting, we can anonymize, um, uh, you know, once they get past the cover letter CV stage, we then send out more, uh, you know, tasks to complete, essentially, we can anonymize that. So we can do quite a lot of neutral and objective comparisons in terms of applicants. And that has definitely surfaced for us unexpected candidates who I don't believe would have got through processes that were more geared in terms of the traditional way of doing it. So for us, we're very we've had very, very positive experiences of of uh, of um, anonymized shortlisting. Uh, But the the other and and it's not just that you have to obviously do a lot in terms of your funnel as well in the first place. but that goes out the window if you're hiring somebody's mate or if you're hiring your own mate or if you're or if you're headhunting. So in a way you have to then reverse what you're trying to do and look very, very specifically at why there would be a good reason to be biased, to say this person is absolutely qualified for the job and if not this person, then who? So you have to have a very conscious and overt effort and knowledge about what you're trying to achieve in order to have a good process and for that, i would say and again i think joel spolsky said this you know all sorts of people fantastic luminaries of, of software companies and an enterprise and corporate world will say that as ceo or founder or as managing director or whatever you call yourself it is the boss's job to work out how you're going to hire people how are you going to expand your team and i wouldn't leave it to the idea that it's a recruitment agency or a hiring manager or hr or or some, somebody else's job because i think that as you get better at it, as you hire more people, you you do get better at it. but your team, what's amazing to me now is that our team of of eighteen people know so much more about the culture of you can book me and who is going to be a real success inside the team than I could have articulated six years ago, and it's because of of a constant reinforcement of the kind of values and 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 criteria that we look for. I better pause there, Alex, if you want to come in and ask questions and we can.
0: Yeah, you know, good, discussion. good stuff. Um, so fascinating uh, sort of listening to that, and uh, uh, definitely got a few questions al- already from my side. Um, so uh, where to start? So I think one. Of, so you, you mentioned a bit of the process, and we we, we talked to, or you talked about um, the uh, right right at the beginning, having the cover letter, um, and let's say then you have the uh, these great candidates that have really kind of you know gone all out, and I love that you can hire me uh, example. Those are exactly the type of people that you do want to be interviewing. Um, once you've, once they've done that, you've got the CV, like, what does the, what does what the process look like in terms of, you know, are you hiring slow? You know, do you, do you subscribe to hire slow and fire fast uh, or should we just say hire slow? Or, you know, if you've got the right candidate, are you looking to hire fast to kind of, you know, fill them and, how many sort of you know how many stages to that interview process, and is there any specific process that you use? So, for instance, we're looking at top grading at the moment, uh, you know, within uh, within SASTOC, and um, in, in in terms of how that runs. And there's like a, you know the screening, uh, and then there's a second stage, obviously doing the reference checks and just ensuring that you, you know we're we're following a specific process, but that one that also kind of fits well. So, curious a bit more about your process on that.
1: So. Um, uh, so, as I said before, at the beginning, it's it's different for every company because uh, people are going to thrive in different, different situations. Now, we are a very small company, so there's only um, going to be a subset of, of fantastic candidates that we've interviewed who are really going to thrive in a small company. And so you are... And and, and and sometimes, sadly, you can do all of your great efforts, you can go through all your stages, and I can tell you a bit more about what we do in a second, but you still end up with a candidate. And this has happened to us a couple of times where we've ended up hiring somebody who is absolutely at face value, a great candidate. But then after a couple of years, you just realise they're not the right fit. And that is not because they're not a good person or they didn't try hard or you didn't get a great or you didn't have a very... Kind of good relationship with them, uh, but in the end, there's 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 a there's a It's a bit like customers. You know, you talk about successful customers, and you want to you want to go back and have a look at the pattern recognition of the customers that have really benefited from your tool. Um, and and that is the same with people. Now, um, the, the 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 ethical and political dimension to this is that you can't treat people like they're a commodity like you're you know a b testing um some kind of onboarding flow or you're a b testing some software and then you churn or whatever like it doesn't matter like you can't treat people in their jobs as if if it doesn't work out it it, it, you know if you you can you can churn from them because i take it very seriously that if i've offered somebody a job then they are they're putting their job security their financial security in your hands so i don't i don't hire people kind of on the sucket and see well i'm not quite sure but we'll see and we'll work it out and if i don't like them i'll fire them i try to avoid it and the times when and then and and, and there's a dual benefit to that exactly the same with retention in in every other definition that we have that long term cust uh, uh, team members who work for you over a long period of time if you Figure out how to take care of them will give you enormous value back into the into the company so the it put it a different way churning staff over over a one to two year period is very expensive for the company it's draining and it's i always see it as a as an indication of failure on my part not on their part often but on my part that there was something i need to go back over that process of hiring them to find out what went wrong there did we offer them the wrong job did we have the wrong expectations? Did we not make it clear? Was there something that we missed? Did we ignore a flag that we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have ignored? And so on. And I also believe that if you do have a candidate who you've hired, who you hear the flag early within a probationary period, that they're not right, you do have to ask them to move on one way or another, because it really does not help any organisation to keep somebody working for you who is not thriving because in the end you have an unhappy employee, you have an unhappy team, you have unhappy bosses, productivity goes down one way or another you know your company culture is is really affected. so it's 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 very hard to tell to tell somebody that they probably need to move on. Uh, and I always take personal responsibility for that in that I feel that it was my failure in the first place for not getting that process right. So that's the context. Then to answer your question, how? so, so that's basically what I'm trying to avoid. I'm trying mm-hmm. to avoid making a mistake because making a mistake is costly. There's a human element to that which is painful and I'm trying to avoid it. So you you try very, very hard in the first place to get your messaging right to that person about what it is that you expect of them. Because where a relationship is successful, it's where, you find alignment where you can say what we are looking for matches what you're looking for. There's alignment, everybody's happy. And we do definitely have many of those relationships with our current team and you can book me where I can see it working. So you're like, okay, I'm not crazy. There's definitely a relationship there that we can nurture as employee and employer That and I, we need more of that. Now to get there, after the CV, the cover letter is more of a screening. It basically acts as a screener. Then what I do um, is I split the recruitment. So often I'm involved in in the recruitment, but I'm not actually making the final decision. It might be the, the, the head of department, the line manager, that in the end is choosing who is going to get the job. What I am doing is a huge amount of curation and filtering. And so one of the things I will do is, let's say, we get down to... 50 people who have managed to make it through to a cover letter that is acceptable. And then from that um, 50 candidates, I will then mark them into three, four, and five stars. So we mark them, we, we grade them, we use, we use, if I'm allowed to uh, promote some software, um, Alex, that's not my own, um, we use Bamboo HR, which I just as think is a phenomenal uh, piece of kit. And I don't know, they don't seem to, you know, um, promote them. I mean, they're a very happy and successful company, but they don't seem to be, you know, uh, uh, have very much brand awareness. But they're absolutely phenomenal piece of kit. So for HR software, that's what we use because we have a jobs plugin, ATS plug into that. So we can star them. So we can star. So anybody below three stars is out the window. Three, four, five stars, and you have to keep going back over it. So I, I believe in sort of. Oh, Joe is also agree with me. Bamboo HR. So you have you know you you have a, you can grade them and so you can say so for example the first time i do it i never give any, anybody five stars because how can you give the first person that you read five stars when you don't know when, when you are in the process of a subjective comparison then you go back in and you say right here are my four stars here are my five stars and what i'm looking for is essentially between 10 and 15 five star candidates and that means they are qualified to do the job. We like their cover letter. they've shown a very strong interest in working for you can book me. They seem to know what they're what they're doing, and um, they haven't made any major errors in their application. Get it down to about fifteen maximum ab- applicants. Then what I do is very specific you you'll be worried that you ask me because mm-hmm. it's very specific. I send them all a link. It used to be type form, but now actually we we move just Google form just google Google forms. send them a type form. Now, don't forget, our objective here is to um, eliminate people, which sounds awful, but that's basically the objective. So you send them a form and you ask them for all the other details that you need in terms of their background or, you know, there's a whole lot of other sort of functional transactional stuff we ask, but we also ask them a series of questions about the job. We ask them about their, we ask them to assess their own skills. So if it's technical or customer success, we, you know, a question would be on a on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your your CSS skills or something? So you partly to give us material for things to talk about in the interview, but also it's very interesting to see how people assess themselves. Really good questions. What would you be expecting to learn in this job? Really makes you makes them is a very revealing question because again, if they've thought about the job that they've applied for. And the kind of people that you're looking for are not the people that are just gonna sell themselves a hundred percent. You're looking for people who are problem solvers, and or this is me, this is the people I'm looking for. People are problem solvers, people are curious, people are learning. So if they think I really wanna work for you you can book me because I've never worked in, um, in a SaaS tool before, I've only ever done something else that you know I want to know that they often I'll look for people who've created a you can Book me account they've seen the tool and they go I've never worked on 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 something that does does it like this and I think I'll learn a lot from that so people who are are learners will will answer that question really well other questions I like asking are things like tell us about a problem where tell us about a time when you had a problem because again are they going to um are they going to break that problem down um into its constituent parts and and show us which part of it that they learnt something from where they made a mistake you know i know that you you talked about it recently alex about you know admitting mistakes that you've made like it's completely human and it's not about the mistake it's about the reflection and the problem solving and the sharing uh it's not just saying god look at me i'm an idiot but people who don't recognize that won't see it and they tend to blame other people so you think well i don't want people just to i don't want people to blame other people I want people to understand that problems are about solving things and learning and moving on and progress. So you can answer all these questions. And then what I do, I will get from Google Forms a spreadsheet exports, you know, uh, sheets export. And then I'm absolutely ruthless about this. And my team will attest, I'm absolutely ruthless. I First of all, anonymize it. So I have, if you, if you can imagine, I've got, let's say, 15 questions. 15 quest, uh, questions along the top and I've got 15 answers going along horizontally, I take all the all the details away, I, I redact any reference to any jobs, any uh, companies they've worked for, I redact anything that will give you a sense of who these people are, because often by with these 15 people we might have people that we're aware of or, or that we know um, have applied. Also through the process of CVs and, and, and cover letters you inevitably get favorites. You're like, I like that person, that person's going to be really good. And you start, the bias starts coming in in a positive form of bias as well as a negative form of bias. So I anonymize it all. At this point, I've probably done all of the filtering. It makes me sound like a control freak, but it doesn't actually take me very long. I've done all of the filtering on bamboo. So my line manager, and it could be the technical engineer, it could be the design person, probably doesn't know a huge amount about their, uh, about the, uh, about the candidates. I send them a link, and they look at the sheets. And then what their job is to do is to is to score the answers, and they score them vertically. So if you can imagine, you're going to score 15 answers to the same question, and you and it's very easy. Traffic lights: red, green, or neutral. Once you've scored a vertical line of answers, you then hide it in sheets, and you resort the rows, which means that you don't have. Um, a confirmation bias, oh, I like that answer, I'm gonna like the next answer from that person. Um, and it just, and, and you also are removing obviously any kind of buildup of kind of candidate awareness of, of who you're dealing with. Then by the end of it, you get to a point where you've hidden all the columns, if you imagine this. Then you can reveal all of it. And what you get is your positive negative reaction to each candidate kind of in real time, because then what you see is, God, that person's got half their answers are red. That person, half their answers are green. You know, that person's a bit of a mixture. And depending on how hard the scoring is, you can also weight it. So you can score these things. And we have done that as well. So we've said, well, for every green, you get a plus one. For every red, you get a minus one. And then you can net it out. And sometimes that will actually give you the natural top six um, of people who have scored where you've weighted the answers that matter. So a green... A green answer to to something that really that's really important gets plus two, whereas somebody who just says that you know they had a nice day yesterday and that happened to be green as well, but it's not an important it's not an important thing, then that might not score as much. So then you end up with uh, six people. Then the next so we've essentially allowed use that system to eliminate potentially ten interviews that we didn't want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so so Does you've asked sense, these questions
0: before you've even got them. Um, I, I, in front
1: of you, right? So yeah. Now, yeah, next stage, next stage is the 20 minute um, filter. Because there is nothing, nothing worse than a one hour interview that you've scheduled when you know in the first five minutes there's no way you're going to hire this person. And we have done it where we've had candidates that were all green, candidates that looked like our top candidate. And then we've interviewed them and we've just gone no way why did they you know they managed to do everything right on the written version and then we we started to talk to them and there's just something you know really unexpectedly wrong about them um you know like 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 they've got cupboards behind them full of their washing tumbling out or you know something about their judgment about like you know their professionalism or or whatever so there might be something which is like oh god that's just a non-starter i don't think we can we can work with this person. So, the last thing you want is an hour scheduled time. So, what we do is we have two people who do 20 minute chats, and they are, and they're usually me and a colleague, and they're usually not the person who would be their boss. So, we do those 20 minute ch- chats to screen them. And that's when we do the same five questions for each candidate and we score those as well. So, you can start to do a, you start to build up how are these candidates. Doing. Now, I've thought about this recently and I think we might do this for the next uh, roles that we hire for. I think I might turn that into a video submission because it's now everybody's understood it. You can do it in Zoom. You can do it in Loom. You can do all sorts of ways of basically recording a presentation that you could just send us and we could just look at links. I mean, I think there is there are some problems. There are some issues. But still, what we're trying to do is get you to talk about your job or your roles or whatever else and just you know get a sense of who you are. Then. We will try to get that down to maybe three maximum, possibly four candidates, depending on how many roles we've got. And then that's when the line manager will schedule a much longer call. Because by that point, we should have got it down to elimination of any other candidate that we know we definitely wouldn't want to work with. And now what we're with is it should be a short list of people that whoever they choose, we'd be happy. The rest, two other people in the company would be happy to uh, work with them so it's it's involved and it's 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 time consuming but it you know your first question is do you hire slow do you hire fast mm-hmm. so the answer really is we hire slow because we 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 um we really want to make sure that we're offering the right job to the right person yeah I think, uh, and go back to your,
0: your earlier point you mentioned about just the expense of making the <laughs> the, the incorrect hire right and I, I think I've read that anecdotally it's something like 15x, uh, you know, salary, um, you know, a wrong hire, you know, can cost. So, it, it, you know, can be very, yeah. very expensive for, for a business. Although I do feel maybe you're being a bit too hard on yourself in that if somebody's left, you can book me after three years, you know, haven't they potentially? Oh, um, yeah, no, no, yeah. 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 And, and I guess, but to, to that point, I'm going to come to Anna's question about company culture and hiring for company culture in a second. But um, I'm assuming then... Um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't necessarily subscribe to uh, what Reid Hoffman calls it, like the tour of duty. That you know, uh, that he, he thinks that it, it you know, it's perfectly acceptable that in this day and age and uh, with the millennial workforce, etc., that people come in if they give you two years, you know, two great years, uh, and and they leave you, you know, we should be fine with that. Um, obviously, if, if they come in and do six months, you know, that's not great because you spend you probably haven't even you know got them um up and running you know in in six months uh, and effective but if they've given you two years um you you know perhaps that, that you can ask for it that you you know
1: yeah so so here i mean i think that um you know alex in your business i mean i know obviously covid being a very different point but you know in terms of things like the events business and large organizations lots of people coming in you know i myself when i was younger did all sorts of of jobs where, you know, you get in and you start on the first ladder and you move up and you have to, to an extent, job hunt, job hop to, you know, to get lots of of experience. And I'm certainly not against that. And I, and I think we, you know, we've had, but I thought quite a lot about it, about how that fits for You Can Book Me. And um, for example, recently, we've recently articulated more of a separation between customer support and customer success, because we think that they're slightly different facing, Uh, Departments. And so I'm trying to define customer support much more as a product facing department where I would expect people to come in and they might do, if you like, the tour of duty of two years working on tickets and support, but it's because they want to go into product management, they want to go into UX, they want to go into QA. And I would expect people in our support. Uh, department to nurture those people so what i'm more interested in in the company is career development and career paths and not having any department any one department where there's essentially a ceiling or um a limit because it's it's like building a house with with um only you know with only small windows and you're only letting a certain amount of light in um i don't believe in that it's kind of uh, that's a sort of my new my new hiring metaphor is is is, is big window hiring. But I, you know, I want people to come and work for us and be able to find a path through what's undoubtedly a very small company. I think when you're dealing with very big companies, sure, of course, you know, go in, do a couple of years in marketing, then move across into sales, and then do something. You know, I mean, that's that's where that's where young people, that's their job is to is is to learn the ropes of of an industry. Um, but I've. just so happens that for my company because we're remote we have never prospered hiring juniors and i know and i don't i don't like admitting it because it makes me i'm not kind of dismissing the huge value of you know apprenticeships and mentoring and 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 junior positions and graduates and so on and happily you know if i had an opportunity to hire Um, hire those people, I would. But just in in our personal experience, it's been very hard for us to form kind of the correct mentoring and support that you need for so-called junior positions. Um, I mean, I've done it myself in previous jobs um, where you have interns and you have all sorts of people coming in and you teach them the ropes and that's how you learn in an an industry. It is just very hard in a remote company, in a remote context to do that. So we're generally hiring uh, more, um, if you like, older people who are quite career, who've already got quite a few jobs under their belt. So in that sense, I would expect them to want to uh, join the company and develop their skills and go on and, and sort of replay the experience of the first couple of years of working for You Can Book Me into a different role in You Can Book Me, where they where they get to broaden their, broaden what they do. So people who've worked for us for more than five, six years, they're not doing the same job you know they have evolved over that time and what's happened is as they have evolved we've hired more people into their team to specialize so it's been a very interesting process to see what success looks like in terms of a long so it's a neat segue uh, in
0: terms of you talking about the, the the type of person that that you you hire within the business to so, I guess kind of Anna's question around uh making sure that they're the right fit for company culture and how do you hire for company culture How how do you test that uh, within the interview process is it simply you know these are our values and kind of ask them questions as to when was the last time that you demonstrated this particular mm-hmm. value um shed some light uh, for us uh, around
1: yeah i mean so this it all comes it all comes down to um you know self awareness as a company so uh, we have a document called who we are i mean we literally we call it who we are so you can and that document is um is it's a PowerPoint, you know, like a slides, Google Slides um show that you can that we've linked to on our website. And we've also got those values printed on our About Us page and our jobs page. So we have six core values. And we are essentially hiring to those values. We are saying this is what adds up to our culture. This is what we are saying as a combination we are looking for. I mean different strengths and and um experiences and or put it a different way slightly more negatively if we end up thinking that you're not a fit it'll usually be because of one of these six reasons because there's something about the way you have been and the way we have been and the way we have worked together where there is no alignment in in these six six reasons and we wrote that document a long time ago six seven years ago and so when we ask questions in the interview process or in the uh, survey that we do um, or indeed even as I said the cover letter, we are always looking for those values. So we're looking for values of curiosity and optimism. We're looking for problem solvers. We're looking for um, uh, people who are tolerant, you know, who are respectful. Um, we're not looking for people who um you know are competitive in the i mean i'm not i'm not criticizing it but just to give you an example of, of what we're not a cult, like amazon has a very strong culture of competition and high achieving um competitive sort of alpha people to stride around and 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 be brilliant and that that's um that's what they're presumably filtering for uh, but it, it, it there's a cultural cost to that because there's going to be a lot of people who um are being promoted because of their ability to 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 um, if you like, climb on on top of the shoulders of others to get there, and 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 th- there's there's a part of that which doesn't fit very nicely with the way we like to do things. We like to do things a lot more collaboratively, a lot more um, in terms of problem problem, you know, solving and sharing. So these are the kind of things that it, it's very hard to uncover in any kind of process until you finally met people and you've really you know spent some time with people. But you can find I actually t- mapped mapped all of those um, values, I found all of the words that I thought were associated with those values, and then I constructed questions based around them. So, and then you, and then it's not just a question of what you're doing to hire, hire that person, you then have to follow up. So you have to follow up in your probationary period, you have to follow up in your one-to-ones, and in your, uh, in your, in your, in your assessments, is this person continuing to show us the things that we think are consistent with our with our values, um, and again, as I said, if we end up detecting that we just don't think they are, then then we know. We I want to
0: get your them. opinion on this, and I know, and you, you did say obviously every company is is different, right? So everybody has their their kind of different hiring policies. Um, one SaaS founder that I know, they hire two people for the same job, uh, and they give them like you know thirty mm. days or whatever, and then they yeah, they they pick the best person from yeah, that. The people we aware, uh, you know, on that. So, he it, it seems to work.
1: Well, I mean, I think there's some. There's, we don't. Ha- we're not the, at the stage yet to 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 hire a huge sales team. But I have read, and I think it's. A, is it? Um, I can't remember who it is. But the, the, there's a guy that that talks about this. Is this just might be in the in 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 this in the uh, popular sales mantra? But I have understood that if you are hiring for sales reps. Um, where you are getting, you know they're they're basically being incentivized to bring in whatever quota you've given them. Um, if you hire in a in a cohort, you're gonna very quickly see the difference between one person who might be an absolute a player salesperson and and, and another person who is not making their quota at all. And you only really understand that when you've got more than one people well, more than one person. So I can see that there's probably some very good roles where that would be justified um we do do a version in the sense that i like to hire i mean recently we just hired three customer success managers all at the same time um and we did that not because we're trying to a b test them so we would never give make a job offer to somebody who we were expecting to then fire a month later so essentially if you if you hire more than one we have done it several times where we've done an interview process and two people have emerged as strong candidates. Um, and rather than saying, well, we have to choose between one of them w- in whatever context we're in, we think, well, we might as well hire both. So, so we have done that where we've gone, these are two very good candidates. And um, I mean, the the, the the example I was thinking of actually a few years ago, where I thought that the, the anonymized process worked very well is that we got a candidate who was actually quite junior Um, But because they had done so well in the process, they had emerged as one of the strong candidates for what was otherwise a senior job. And so we decided in the end, let's hire both because they've done so well, even though had we just allowed ourselves the bias of comparing their CVs, we probably would have said, no, they're too junior. We're looking for somebody a lot more senior. So, you know, that process of ability to to, um, go through our hoops, is is a very strong factor. It's a it's sort of a it's a, a superpower that you can you can take you know with you as a candidate through our process, and we recognise that by the end of set and we've done it before where we've just done it recently where we don't want to say no to any of them because we think they're all great. Now I think in that situation you then actually benefit. From the value of of, of a cohort because they're, they're because they're like a little mini team they've all started at the same time everybody knows nobody wants to be the one person that starts at school you know by yourself and everybody else is already in their cliques so if you start in a in a situation and obviously if you're a very fast growing company people are joining the company all the time but in our in our little world um, you know we like to we what we don't what we try to do is not hire for six months give everybody a chance to settle down. We've just finished a little period of hiring Alex and then we won't be hiring again for uh, probably until later on this year. And then it's like, okay, we're hiring again. And then we might hire two or three people all at the same time, because then we get a real set. They get a sense of cohort. um, We get a sense of different personalities and. and yeah, I mean, there's there, there 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 may emerge a comparison there between two people you've hired. Uh,
0: two two more of, uh, sort of questions way. from me uh, before we see if there's uh, any final ones from the audience. There, um, one is around the uh, I guess kind of I'll use the word rejection, but uh, you know, you you've got your your kind of final candidates, um, uh, and then you are obviously you're choosing one. Uh, let's say in, in this scenario uh, with the others, um, you know, what sort of uh, rejection and feedback do you give to them? You know, how, how do you manage that? And what, what levels of feedback? Do you only give
1: feedback, you know, to the final yeah. candidates? Or do you, do you do it, you know, right from the very beginning? That's a really, really good question. And I think there's obviously clearly quite a lot of sensitivities about it. It's, it's certainly to do with, um, um, quite rightly, discrimination and uh, employment uh, law that, you know, that, you know, you have to be very careful um about you have to make sure that your process is robust and accountable so that you kind of know why you've given somebody one job and, and not the other. And so in a way I I what I do, I have a standard reply in, as I said, using Bamboo HR, which just emails out to anybody that are three stars or below, uh, that goes, sorry, you're you're not successful. And I don't feel any compulsion to to do any kind of meaningful response to them because they didn't you know they didn't give they didn't make a meaningful application so i don't think they care um then for the 3 to 4 stars um we'll generally give a a, resp- a response where i will um what i will do is i won't say this is the reason why we decided to reject your application what i'll say is we're sorry but you're not going to go through to the final uh shortlist the reasons why are the the people that we have decided to shortlist were people who we believed you know matched our criteria more had more experience or whatever else and so if you're a three or a four star you would read that and think okay fine well I can understand I just didn't make the cut in terms of criteria eligibility if you like and then for five star it's often the case that we will be rejecting people who are absolutely um, uh, uh, outstanding candidates one way or another but not right for us for whatever reason and there I will I will kind of I will do a probably a more detailed uh, standard reply because it's usually going to about 10 of them where I'll be saying the the people that we the the, the you know the candidate that we chose um the, the candidates that we have chosen to shortlist um we did so because of and again it's the criteria so you just you just describe to them who you decided to go for as opposed to why you didn't choose them and that way they can infer the the difference um, and then I do think, once you got down to your two or three candidates who you've done quite a lot of um, work with, um, it is very hard to say no to any of them because they're all by definition going to have done a lot of work to get to the stage that they get to. So I have done personalized replies where I've said, we felt that this was really good, but we did think that this was the, you know, it could be sometimes to do with time zones. It could be sometimes to do with, in the end, um, scope of experience. Um, And so we'll say the candidate that we decided just had the edge on this kind of experience compared to you. And we just think that this is going to be the more important thing we're looking for in, in the, in the position. So I do think that you can, and because don't forget, you could be saying no to some candidate today that if you really like, they might apply again, six months later, you know, actually, you don't want to burn your bridges with people for the wrong reasons, uh, just because you pissed them off because you, um you know, you insulted them at the end of a process. Cause I respect, the huge amount of time and effort, really good candidates. What about also at least quite nice
0: us. into that the, the other question um, uh, around uh, having like a virtual bench of uh, potential candidates. So obviously, if you, you know you've got key positions and you know anybody leaves, are, are you kind of always recruiting and looking at the, you, you know kind of who's out there and you know having this kind of virtual
1: bench? Do you have have time for that? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think that. Um, as I said before, I think that a CEO or boss of a company needs to spend at least a third of their time thinking about how they're hiring and what's happening in their people, because their people resources, if you think about it, is the vast, vast majority of the cost of the company is people. So, I mean, how could you spend hours worrying about what CRM you're going to you're going to uh, use when that might cost you ten thousand pounds a year, versus a hundred thousand pounds a year for for a couple of hires. I mean, it's just the the cost of people is just the biggest cost to any company. So you have to if you're not prepared to spend a lot of time thinking and worrying about it, then you're going to be wasting a lot of money on the wrong the wrong hires by definition. Um, so absolutely, we do um, nurture communities and networks of, of um, people who are in industry, you know, customer support networks, engineering networks. Um, the, the the kind of places where you'll find us is 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 partly to do with the fact that our website isn't just about you can book me customers but if we are looking for um, a hire they're going to be looking at our website if you go onto the about us page or the jobs page I don't expect many. Um, possible You Can Book Me users to be looking at those pages. Those pages are recruitment pages. The About Us page is for is for people who are thinking about working for us. Um, and so it's really important that we send them the right message about who we are. Um, and um, yeah, in terms of people on the bench, Uh, certainly there's been people I've met who who I've gone I would like them to work for us at some point or you know I've encouraged them to apply or as I said you have this kind of discrete channel that you have to be quite careful of because you don't want your favorites your headhunted favorites um, to kind of circumvent a process that actually can be very robust and fair on the other hand I mean I haven't worked with them directly but I think that some of my hires coming up might be we might go down the headhunted route, where we'll have recruiters with a very specific criteria, and 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 we'll bring some candidates, um, candidates to us that um, we can then do some really in-depth interviews with because we're looking for some senior senior people. And then one last thing I should add, Alex, which is kind of a a, a slight, um, what feels like a tangent, but I want to add it in because hiring has this, you know, in a way, gold standard. Um, position inside any company. So uh LinkedIn um I'm sorry to gripe here, but we're not the reason why we're not the number one scheduling tool on on G2 crowd uh, and Calendly is is because G2 crowd counts headcount on LinkedIn as evidence of market presence. So it it so li- your LinkedIn headcount, how many people are you? These are these start to become a vanity metric that if you're really big and you've hired loads of people, it must be that you're very successful. I don't I just don't see that as a as a useful metric for any kind of business success all it means is that you have a massive payroll at the end of the day and the question would be then how are you how are you paying for that payroll so for me the number of people i hire isn't the 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 the, the metric i'm i'm going after it's the quality of the work that i have done and so recently we've now undertaken two direct outsourced relationships with partners one for front end development and one for qa and it's not a cost saving exercise. It's not, it probably costs me more than hiring, but what we're getting is effectively a specialized version of that hiring um, track that I'm talking about because we want specialized QA developers or we want specialized uh, uh, front-end developers. And we've just decided it's better other people who are who have that specialism have done the hiring for those people, have, they're employed, they're expert, you know they've got their they've got their own team culture, their own um, uh, work benefits, and and so on. Um, and what we want from them is is the relationship and the work from them. But we don't need to hire them directly into our company. And so it's it's an it's a new departure for us. That uh, to give you an illustration, if we had the current people who are working with us via third parties, if they were working for us, we'd be twenty three people rather than eighteen. So it just goes to show, you know, you don't actually always have to hire direct into your company to get.
0: Uh, Bridget, I think it's a great point um, to kind of like wrap up. It's been a fascinating, really in-depth uh, conversation uh, on hiring. I thoroughly enjoyed it myself. Very uh, also poignant for us because, you, you know, we're, we're looking uh, at a couple of positions uh, at the moment, looking at our, our, our process and, uh, and what we do. Um, so I really want to kind of thank you for, for sharing that. Um, having the conversation with me, sharing it with uh, the members and uh, and obviously the SaaS Revolution podcast uh, audience um, uh, as well. Uh, Bridget, where can people uh, find out more, uh, well, you know, contact you and, and more about You Can Book Me?
1: Well, as I said, I've got a, a blog piece on our on our website called How to Hire Without Hurting. So everything I've talked about, actually, I've written out on this blog piece with all sorts of useful links. I recommend it's a good starting point for people to think about this because it's uh, it's something I've thought a lot about. It's really important. I wish I'd kind of you know had these links and resources uh, starting off I wouldn't have made as many mistakes as I did make in the early in the early days um, but in, in terms of getting hold of me I'm you know I, I love the Sustock community Alex it's great I'm sorry that we haven't been in, meeting anybody in person for, for quite some time I hope we do at some point soon but anybody that wants to reach out with, to me personally might. Awesome that thanks so
0: much Bridget uh, uh, it's, uh, it's great speaking great to, to you hopefully we'll get to meet in person uh, I'm sure we will but uh, at some point in 2021 um, uh, all, all being well and um, so thanks so much to uh, bridget harris see how you can book me thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the sas revolution show i hope you enjoyed it and if you learned something from it check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SAS Doc conferences around the world